everything we do in the organization needs to be done through an intersectional lens. So affinity groups, for example, like many of them have kind of replicated in this way we're talking about, like I might encounter a women's group and there's no LGBTQ people in it. There's no women of color in it. It is white woman dominated. That was the voice of Jennifer Brown, who is our guest today on the HR for Her podcast. Jennifer is a former opera singer who is now lending her voice to provide strategic leadership and helping to build more inclusive workplaces. She has a worldwide international organization who has been consulting for Fortune 500 companies and other leaders. Jennifer is also a TEDx speaker. You really need to go and find that TEDx and watch it, Finding Your Voice. Jennifer has also authored two books, One is How to Be an Inclusive Leader in the Diversity New Workplace, The Will to Change. She's also the host of a podcast, Will to Change. I have called her the queen of inclusion. You don't want to miss this podcast. Jennifer and I talked about so many things. We talked about sustainable solutions as we're such in a time where everyone is implementing for the first time, many organizations, diversity and inclusion. We talked about how they can make sure that the solutions that they're doing is more than just unconscious bias training. We talked about intersectionality, ERGs, and so much more. All right, everyone, we are so excited today. Um, As we said, we have Jennifer Brown here of Jennifer Brown Consulting, and she is going to be sharing with her her insights from her book. Let me just show you guys the book. So if you don't have it, make sure you get it. (laughs) There it is. um, Yes, how to be an inclusive leader. We know at this time how critical inclusion is. We hear the conversations around diversity and we know that that's step one. So we just really want to take it to make sure we have a holistic implementation. And so, Jennifer, thanks so much for being here with us and sharing. So before we kick off, the first thing we have to hear from you is, for you, what does gender diversity mean? Mm. It means that we are invited to the table and that we are engaged in meaningful dialogue and asked our opinion and that that opinion is valued and utilized and acted upon. So, you know, diversity, as we know, is not just who's around the table, but how we are included. And so I think that um, we need to look beyond representation, which is certainly the first step and what we often associate with diversity, but it goes beyond that to sort of how, how are we including all that wisdom and that diversity of experience, identity, thought, all those great things that create more innovation, that create better teams, right? That cause people to stay in organizations, not just come, but actually stay, thrive, grow, be advanced, and seeing more of ourselves eventually in the C-suite, which is where we belong. <laughs> exactly where we belong. Exactly. I, sometimes just so annoying why everyone else just doesn't get it. And the numbers are there. The data is there to prove that when we're there, we make a difference. And we still are trying to say, please let us help us make a difference in your company. (laughs) We shouldn't have to beg for that. I mean, come on. Uh, Anyway, well, (laughs) some work to do. Yeah, it's it's so crazy. So I love the, you know, when you talk about not just being at the table, but also being involved in too many times we hear that, you know, when we invited someone to the table, we didn't see them have an impact. And I think that kind of really would speak 
to the inclusion piece because it's not just sitting at the table, but it's being actively involved around the table, allowing someone to have a voice, respecting the opinion that they have. And so with the place where we are now, where almost diversity and inclusion has almost become buzzwords or a trend, I'm not even sure if anyone's even looking at the business case of it anymore. It's just like, just bring a person in. For those who are still a little bit like resistant in that and still saying, why do we have to do this? What could we do as diversity practitioners to start getting other people involved, getting them to listen and to get them to realize that this is very, very important? Yeah, you're right. I mean, um, business case is what I'm, I'm endlessly asked for, honestly. Uh, like, really? Do you need more statistics? Like, there's something called Google. There's pl- plenty of information. I'm like, why are you paying me to give you something? You, I think it's honestly, sometimes it's a resistance or a delay tactic. It's yeah. like, give me more data. Give me more data. It's at some point, you've got to kind of stop with that and say, okay, we're ready to commit and do the work. And that's kind of where I hope to meet people at that stage, because then we can really roll up our sleeves and get into it. But yes, I think the resistance is, so there's apathy. um, There literally is like a not knowing that we have a problem. I think that's very widespread. I think people and organizations want to think they're great and they don't have any problems. (laughs) And so that's very enticing to say, oh, I'm a good person. I'm a good leader. I mean, I believe in equality, right? The, I don't see color. I don't see color. I treat everyone the same. Right, right. Yes, it's a meritocracy, which is not true and never has been. Or I have daughters. I love that one. Yes, you know, yes, please yes. watch watch AOC's takedown of that. Oh my yes, goodness. Yes, so I good. So that. good. Yeah. So so I think that that's sort of the danger of the well-meaning person. Mm-hmm. And that that is not it is mistaking. Yeah, like it's mistaking my like values for action. Mm. they're not the same. And the action, particularly on the part of leaders, is what's going to change organizations for not the short term, but the long term. And we need leaders to actually not just believe like, well, because I believe this, like it will sort of manifest around me, but that they are literally going to the mat and saying like, asking the hard questions, challenging the policies and procedures for equity, like seeing things through that lens. We need more people, particularly at the top, Um, knowing what questions to ask Mm -hmm. and being consistent and keeping the pressure on. And the problem is that that group of people tends to be, you know, white, straight and male typically. And I think knows the least about Mm -hmm. the facts, the statistics, the lived experience, you know, the ability to even just have proximity to people that are different than you, not just in the workplace, but in our lives also. So I think that there's a real danger and risk for leaders to be so isolated from the facts, from the truth, from the experience, by identity, isolated as well, to say, oh, I don't know, you know, I don't know a person in the LGBTQ community. To me, that's a liability now, because then you can't lead a diverse constituency. You can't hope for followership if you haven't sort of done the work yourself. And you can do it as an aspiring ally. You just have to be incredibly intentional about it and um, take some serious concrete steps to like stay on that journey. And it's very learnable. It's just, to me, it hasn't been a priority. And now everyone's in a panic <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm so here for that. I'm like, so maybe you should have been paying attention to this a while ago. <laughs> just a year ago, even just a year ago. Like how just about, a year ago. How about when we were talking the Me Too movement? If you 
just did something then, what a difference that would really make. I'm just wondering now, okay, so we have like this, like panic, pandemonium, everyone is like, we've got to do something, we've got to do something. And we have the fire brigade out there. How do we ensure that right now, this is not like the Me Too movement? We were all up in arms about it. Um, everyone came out with their sexual harassment, no tolerance policy. How do we ensure that our inclusion is not going to pass away, that our policies, our practices, our strategies that we're putting in place, that they are sustainable? Yeah, say, well, that's like the biggest question right now. And because we have a, a bad habit of being short-term thinkers, the business world is all about the short-term, I think. And we're in survival mode, right, with the pandemic as well. So I do worry about competing priorities yes. and people not being able to synthesize how do these all relate to each other and fit together? And am I going to just, can I keep my head down until it's over? Right? And then we go back to whatever it was. Uh, yeah, no. So I'm like, no, this isn't going away. And by the way, like social justice and equity is a core value of younger generations in particular, yes. right? So they're not going to let this go. It's not going to just go away or it's literally going to continue, I think, to define what talent wants to see and what customers want to see. Women and people of color and LGBTQ people and other diverse buying groups are the fastest growing groups of wealth, right? So we are consumers. We make decisions. We want to know there's an alignment there. And we want to know that a brand is not just marketing to us, but walking the talk as well. So, yeah. And we're in a transparent world. So we can see everything you're doing. We can read Glassdoor. We can, we know we're very loyal, I think, as we do our homework. Yeah, we can look at your board. Yeah. And so I think that those companies are really like, again, taking a big gamble when they don't really take this seriously and start to bake it into the DNA. And that's what's going to make it consistent and sustainable is that this is not just a one and done Black Lives Matter post or unconscious bias trainings. In fact, when we get calls as a consulting company and they say they want to do that, we say, well, we're not sure we want to be a part of that because that's sounds like check the box to us. It's not going to do the trick. It also kind of backfires. And what you really need is a strategy, like a year or two long strategy that you've thought through, that you've engaged all of your stakeholders in, that you've well-researched with your employees to understand, like, is this going to hit the mark and make a difference? And how are we going to hold ourselves accountable? And what are the metrics? All that stuff that makes a really good strategic plan. We partner to build those. And so I think that is Honestly, the really best way I think to bake this in is to treat it as a business strategy, just like anything else you would launch and follow through on and hold yourselves accountable for and measure and tweak and adjust. Mm -hmm. It's got to be a sort of hygiene for the organization. And we've got to get people comfortable being uncomfortable because this topic makes particularly some of us uncomfortable who for whom it's unfamiliar new or maybe makes us feel like we're the bad like I'm a bad person and they've done something wrong because yeah. I didn't know this or like I don't know what to do and so there's a lot of that kind of nurturing that we think of it as like nurturing the learner through a process and part of that process is the denial and the protection of yourself and your ego <laughs> and you know all those things that kind of pop up when you're hearing some hard truths from your coworkers that 
you didn't know, I guess. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, you and I have probably been showing this information for a long time and I would argue you have been shown, you have been told, but you, you weren't curious to dive in and you didn't get invested in shifting it. Now you're doing it in a scramble. You're doing it too quickly because I don't think it's something that should be done quickly. I think things that we care about, right? They need to be done in a sustainable, even if it's a slow way, I would prefer slow and deep than fast and surface. Because we're talking sustainable. We want something to stay. And if we're talking about changing people's behavior, changing the culture of an organization, it's not because you had a training. It's behavior. It's habits. It's mindsets. It's so much more than what you're going to learn in a 45 minute. I don't even care if you have a five day, eight hour training. It's so much more than that. So definitely sustainable, practical solutions is what organizations need to be looking for at this time and not just time, just like every time. I mean, constantly because it's not an evergreen. So it's not going to be like one and done. Oh, we created our strategy this year and it worked. And then that's it. We're gone. So Done. <laughs> yeah, like, people are so predictable. <laughs> we all do it. You know, it's, it's human. I think it's, uh, we got to keep the pressure on. We do. And I, I want employees who have found their voice through this whole process to keep using those voices. Like yes. we need to really yeah. keep ringing the bell, you know, and saying this is not going away and it's going to make our business better. It's going to the benefits of this exercise as painful and uncomfortable as it might be is preparing these organizations for the future. It's just happening in a way that um, is uncomfortable because it's overdue. And so there's an, all this pressure that's built up, right? And now the floodgates kind of were lowered. And that's why I'm a fan of like, do this as like hygiene every day so that you don't have to deal with an influx because nobody makes good decisions when you're under the gun. You You don't have a lot of time, right? That's when bias can really contaminate something is when, Oh my gosh. Like we've seen it right with um, like filling a slate of candidates. Oh, well we, we didn't have time. And like, here's who we could grab, you know, and and when you were grabbing things, chances are they look all the same. Yeah. (laughs) And we're not taking that moment. You went all the way to the other side and you're like, Oh, we just got a bunch of diverse people. And you really did not get the kind of people that we needed. Who's going to stand up and do the job. And then people say, well, see, that's why we we didn't hire that way before because that didn't work. So that, Oh, I hate that. um, yeah, fast gun approach doesn't work. And, you know, it's, mm-hmm. and it's so true when you're saying that, you know, when you're in this kind of pain and you're trying to make an adjustment, you, it feels more painful. So it's almost, I think about it like a toothache. You know, your tooth was gnawing at you and you just ignored it. But if we went to the dentist five months ago, we'd have gotten a feeling. And now it's a whole it's- root canal or something, you know, all because we ignored it. <laughs> And that's basically what we're doing. We're like in there doing root canals. That's exactly what it is. Or extracting. <laughs> extracting. Okay. I'm going to steal that. That is such a good analogy. You know? It's great. <laughs> I also think um, on the allyship front, I think of it like a marathon. And I think a lot of people right now are like jumping into a marathon without yeah. having trained. You know, they're <laughs> literally like, I'm an ally, you know, and I can have these hard conversations and like, no, 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 because guess what? You're going to cause more harm. You know, you're just going to perpetuate this. You're going to get harmed because when you hear some of the things, I mean, like no self care uh, mechanism around (laughs) to support you after you've thrown yourself into a community, you know, nothing about it experience, you know, just even the external, just hearing some of the trauma you, and you have nothing to, what, now what do you do? What do you do with that? So it's- You have no resilience for it, yes, yes. right? And the resilience yes. to me is like, 
you know, your muscles, as you train them for a marathon, you start months ahead, you build up, you know, you build up your resilience and your strength and the muscle gets stronger. And then you're able to run the race without injury, which is important because the other thing I don't want to have happen is people get so overwhelmed and burned out and paralyzed that they or injured, right? Then something goes wrong and I feel horrible about it. And so I'm not going to try it again. You know, I'm going to sort of go back and take my marbles and go home for a while. (laughs) Um, I'm like, we can't afford people to do that. We've got to stay in this and actually see it through. And we've got to do that together. We can't just like delegate this to the DNI team. It's it's, it's a community effort. I mean, you don't change a culture by asking one department to do all the work and everybody sits down and observes. So this is not a spectator sport. Everyone absolutely has to be on the field fully dressed and ready to go. And so when I think about that, I think about that because right now there's so much focus really on the African-American in the Black community with the Black Lives Matter. But this is a community game. All identities, all communities need to be involved because especially when we're talking about intersectionality, that all communities are affected. So the LGBTQ community is affected in in disproportionate way. The women are affected. This differently able community are still affected in the Black Lives Movement in such a different way. So we have to start to address them in that way. But I also have a deep concern of, like, are we so tunnel focused that we also are leaving out a community? So we're not being inclusive while we're Mm -hmm. doing this work. You know, we got so focused on Me Too movement, we focus on women, and then we now forgot. And right now, especially in this time with the pandemic, the Asian community is feeling a lot of pain. Mm. We're we're not talking about it. You know, it's kind of like, we'll get to you later. Well, (laughs) we We only can focus on one thing at a time. We can't walk and chew gum. (laughs) Yeah. So, So how do we, as we're creating these strategies, make sure they are inclusive of all communities? So we don't have this anti-racist stand, but being racist at one point because we're just leaving out a whole community of people as well, or we're leaving out some identity. So how do we, as we're creating these inclusive strategies, make sure we're inclusive? Yeah, I love that question. That, That keeps me up at night too, because I always say, just because you've been the victim of bias and you're in a marginalized community does not mean you are not a biased person also, right? So we aren't perfect. We aren't perfect when you've experienced marginalization and that gets you somewhat of the way there. But the work of being an inclusive leader and human is um, still remains for all of us. And we've got to look at ourselves first and practice and walk this talk, right? We've got to, in the LGBTQ, community, I often in pre-pandemic days, I would be the only woman in the room, say, because it's, you know, where I live, there's a lot of finance companies and the mixers are mainly white cisgender gay men. And so as I've learned about privilege and the role that it, how we in communities that are marginalized continue to perpetuate the status, right? unless those white straight gay men are, are very vigilant to say, and not just come to me and say, Jennifer, can you get us some women? <laughs> not just even that, right? It's like, your backyard, just wait. <laughs> but they don't want to come because they don't feel welcome in this space. Yes. Okay. Right. I'm just getting them there. Can you yeah. like, allow them to, you know, t- uh, talk, value their opinion. That's right. Stop cutting them yeah, off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So male privilege and white privilege 
still exists, I might say male privilege exists in communities of color, who knows, right? We could sort of parse this yeah, and continue, yeah, you know, LGBTQ people that are also people of color are dealing with sort of that intersectional identity and the double binds and the triple binds and all of it. So I think that the, my solution and recommendation always is that everything we do in the organization needs to be done through an intersectional lens. Yeah. So affinity groups, for example, like many of them have kind of replicated in this way we're talking about, like I might encounter a women's group and there's no LGBTQ people in it. There's no women of color in it. It is yeah. white woman dominated. Yeah. And um, I'll say like, so let's think about who's not feeling welcome to join and attend and be a part of this. And how can you shift your programming so that you make that a priority? You set goals. Um, each group should be intersectional in its membership and also in the leadership of the group and in the mission of the group, the vision, right? That statement should speak to, I think, the experiences of all women, yeah. including trans women, including black and brown women, including the people with disabilities community, mental, and then there's like invisible diversity dimensions we also yeah. need to make sure are represented, okay. right? Mental right. health. Exactly. Like parenting. Um, there's so many things that maybe we've, this has been revealed in the pandemic because we've been beaming into each other's living rooms and we maybe can't hide anymore as much as we used to be able to, but we've got to kind of hold, we've got to be the standard bearers about who's not in this conversation. What are we not talking about? Let's role model it for our organization so that they can look to us and understand what the true promise of intersectionality really is, which is that we are having these multifaceted conversations about, I would argue, universal themes. You know, exclusion is universal. As you said, with the Asian American community, like racism is, is experienced not in the same way, but it's the same sort of thread. Mm -hmm. And so I think horizontally as well as vertically, like vertical may be the identity, but think about the horizontals that run through, you know, our siloed approach that of, of the old days, right? And by the way, millennials and younger talent very much see themselves as multifaceted. So we have to fix this too, because we've got to, I think, market ERGs in particular to say like, these are places where all identities are needed and valued versus join the black group or join the LGBTQ group. Yes. Or I think that's going to become I don't know if it's going to go away, but I expect yeah, it yeah, to change. Yeah. It definitely needs a shift because the group that's set up to address an identity is leaving out so many identities within their identity, you know? And right. so, yeah, I'm just <laughs> going, yeah, because like you said, I mean, if I'm part of a women's group, I'm almost sure that the things that they're addressing don't necessarily, well, they could affect me, but there's so many more things that do not affect me because I'm not, you know, okay, so I'm a white, I'm not a white, I'm a <laughs> I'm an African-American heterosexual woman. So when it comes to the heterosexual part and being a woman, we're all together. But then afterwards, some of the approaches that they're asking us to take only align to white women. And so the rest, we're just sitting there like, I can't do that. I can't say that. No, I, I, I'm not going to do that because that's not going to work for me. So they're like, oh. So then I go to the African-American group and they're like, you know, all these manly things. And we're like, well, that doesn't work for me either. So, oh, okay, so where can I go? So it's, I, it's I, Goldilocks I, and the three bears, like <laughs> too hot, too cold. Where's the just right? <laughs> I love that. Yeah, right, this is oh. too cold. So it's, it's really true. I, I think that we're going to see, a sh we need to see a shift in strategic focus of our ERGs if they're going to be effective. Because one of the things that they're supposed to be linked to business outcomes, 
And if you're linked to business outcomes, you have to realize that your community that you're serving your client is so diverse. And so how are you being so homogeneous in your thought process and not addressing the true community that you're actually out there to serve? So, so how do mm. we start, you know, mobilizing and making sure that, you know, we are inclusive? So you talked about the ERGs. Are there anything else that we could do to get everyone else to start leading in a very inclusive manner? I think diversity, we get that. But we got to start really focusing on not just getting them in, but keeping them in and keeping them happy. Right. And that's a whole different question, right? The, I think if you get them, can you keep them? Yeah. And if you can keep them, can you raise them up? Like, can yeah. you enable people to thrive fundamentally and, and want to stay? I mean, honestly, yeah. retention is like a huge bottom line impact when we continue to lose all kinds of talent because they just can't handle it anymore because yeah. it's so exhausting. Yeah. And it's so unfair, and yet nobody's doing anything about those factors. Um, that's when we have one foot out the door, and we're poachable, right? Or and, you know, yeah. we start to look elsewhere. So, I think um, the cost to get people in and then lose them is what three times somebody's salary. Yes, I think yeah. to the organization, yeah, yeah, and half to four times. We yeah. should track that as a yeah, track that as a metric. But the other, of course, so it's demoralizing, it's inefficient, and it's really bad for sort of the optics of things to have you know, this is why I think many of us don't make it through the gauntlet of the pipeline because we spin out, you know, we sort of mm -hmm. fall out. Mm -hmm. And by the time then we look at the C-suite levels and the, maybe the top two or even three levels of many companies, we don't see a lot of diversity left because it's just been, it's been so difficult. And we haven't been, I think, pulled up particularly with sponsorship activities. So mentorship and sponsorship, different things. Yeah. Yeah. Sponsoring is somebody with power joining their capital to you to yours. And so it's somebody literally not just coaching you behind the scenes, which is mentoring, yeah. but saying, but literally playing your card and saying like, I think this person can do this stretch assignment. We should think about her and give her a chance or working with us saying, I'm going to put you forward for this, you know, and I just wanted you to know, so you're going to get a call right. um, and I'm vouching for you because I think it's great. A, it's the right next, next role for you. And B, like, I think you've got what it takes. That kind of, to me, shortcuts a lot of the problems of bias in organizations. Like, right? Like we just don't get thought of or we get that performance feedback like we don't have executive presence or, oh, they haven't done this before. And then we feel small too. Like women do this thing where we don't believe we can do something until we have 100% of the qualifications. We yeah. do that. Yeah. And we need to emulate, I hate to say this, we need to emulate men more. Like I do think about, I watch men very carefully because they built this business world. They're the ones that built it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm a guest in that world. <laughs> So yep. we are guests, right? Understanding those rules is critical and, and playing that game is important until we can change that game, which we should also be doing. But in the meantime, we don't want to pay the dearest price by not achieving what we know we can do. So you've got to kind of understand the game, change the game at the same time. Yes. And playing that game is what is the language that people use here? Like what is the inside group talking about? And if you can get people on the inside to pull you up, and in a way, protect your career path and protect you sort of air cover. I think of for many of us need that because there's so much bias coming at us that air cover is really needed to kind of deflect it and make sure that obstacles that some of us experience that others don't are removed. And the mm -hmm. only person that can remove obstacles is somebody more senior than you. Yes. It's 
Absolutely. right? We can't do that obstacle removing ourselves. That's why it's we're where we're at. To run the hurdle and move the heart, the race and move the obstacle at the same time. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah, All of that. Go before <laughs> you and take that obstacle out of your way before you get there. That would be great too. So lift as we climb, right? So I have this great sponsor, but like, what's the good if I make it there and I pull yeah. the ladder up? Yeah, yeah. And I'm glad you're talking about sponsorship, uh, mentorship and the, the core differences because as women and, and as diversity practitioners, usually that's the first go-to. When people say, well, we want to bring more women in, we want to develop more women. Oh, let's have a mentorship program. And we have seen the, how they're not as effective. I don't want to say they're ineffective, but they're not giving us the results that we want. And it is the sponsorship when someone is lending that capital, when someone is talking about you when you're not in the room or pitching for you when you're not in the room. Because having that mentorship, great. So I have better skills. No one knows it. I'm still in my queue, mm. knocking my head to the wall, and no one even knows I exist. But that exposure. So I'm glad that you brought that to the forefront again. So when we're creating our inclusion strategies, sponsorship should be there. It should be. Agreed. And can I make, can I make yeah. a point about that, Sable? Like, I think also the reason it hasn't been effective is it hasn't been like required. And I know mm. maybe some people don't like I think we, we struggle with leaders basically not liking to be forced to do things. Yeah. <laughs> like it's sort of a perennial, like <laughs> if, if I had my druthers, there'd be a quota for diverse boards like tomorrow. Like it's ridiculous that we are sitting there sort of yeah. suggesting, yeah. right? Like we're going to be waiting forever. Yeah. <laughs> it's not working. So I think that my fantasy is literally the responsibility is assigned to raise diverse talent defined however we define it and that each executive is charged with you know high potential lists yeah. to foster to support to remove obstacles for to know better like just as well as you know your own career path you yeah. know their career path yes. and you know yes. your advocate and you're literally like responsible for ensuring that that cohort makes it through to a certain level in the organization. I mean, imagine, imagine that it's not about chemistry. It's not about like whether I know your family, like it's not like this whole sort of ad hoc, like secret thing. Come that's like, barbecues, uh, your house, no. your kid's birthday, give me the promotion. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> so I think have to Say my name. make it real, make it, make it real and make it required. Like that's what I think, because if we leave this to chance, it's literally going to continue to be like, who's the squeaky wheel who's getting on my calendar for mentorship. Yeah. And by the way, like, again, women aren't great at like asking for that yeah. time and saying like, I want you to be my, not just mentor, but imagine asking somebody to be your sponsor is a really tough conversation. And usually people sort of get out, wiggle out of it. And when they talk about why they don't want to mandate programs like this, because they chalk it up to chemistry, but chemistry, chemistry exists between people that are homogeneous. Like the whole <laughs> chemist to me, <laughs> what I hear in chemistry is like, we live in the same. Like, we're not yeah. We don't need chemistry. No. Because even your team, the team that you select that, or the team that you're given as a leader, do you have to have chemistry with all of them so you can manage them or so you can lead them? You are given a team. Sometimes, you know, we're lucky enough to choose who our team players are, but sometimes we're given a team. We inherit a team. And we don't mm. get to say, well, I'm not going to coach this person in their performance, or I'm not going to 
evaluate them or, you know, lead this team because I don't have chemistry in them. So I, I agree like 100% that mm. chemistry should not be a reason why we don't sponsor someone. And I think that also goes back to the cultural fit when we're bringing people in, all yes, these, you know, totally. funny things that we use to exclude people who we're not comfortable with or we've not been around before. So I think that is so, so critical. So I want to ask you a question before you go. I mean, I can talk to you to like another 200. I know, I know. I feel like you and I are like, so one of the things that we always like to ask our guests, so what would be your, if you had, we're giving you the DNI magic wand and you get to swirl away every which way you go, what would be the one thing that you would change that you can do overnight? Oh, wow. I just kind of said it. We cannot wait until people come around to understand it's difficult to wait. And I know we have to, and it's important for change management to stick and for something to be sustainable. You've got to win over heads and hearts because, and I believe that. And so I spent a lot of my time kind of coaxing and, yes, you know, yes, yes. convincing and, you know, so I wish that I could just get to the work. Honestly, I do think representation is really important for so many reasons. And so I'd probably say that I think if I could have all the leaders of business commit to and I don't want to hear excuses about we can't find the talent, the talent doesn't exist. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> like at every level of organizations, there needs to be a representative sampling of our world and the demographics of the world that a company does business in. And then it, that mix, the pie chart, it continues every subsequent level up that we retain that diversity because that's where it thins out. And I just think that if we could do that automatically, I think we would start to build a more diverse Fortune 500 CEO list, more diverse boards, more diverse executive teams. And then having us at, this, at the table at those levels means that we're going to lead differently. We're going to infuse the organization with, in my case, it would be like more empathy, but not to be gendered about, you know, male leaders can be incredibly empathetic as well. But I do think that we've just, we've lacked diversity at that level and we've missed out on all those all the potential characteristics and lenses and yeah. So, so if we could change that and then to see those role models, which I didn't see, I'm sure you didn't see so critical to see that career path and have something to follow and a light that you're kind of seeking out and to be able to say, I'm not the first because breaking through that cement ceiling is I think what discourages so many of us and, and deprives organizations of our best gifts. It's a loss for organizations when we leave because they need us for business. They need us for product development. They need us for effective customer communications and recruiting and everything. Like, But to sort of let that kind of leave is the crime. And then to sort of complain or blame it on, I can't find enough or they leave and I don't know why. <laughs> no, let's not leave it to chance. Let's say, you know, and they're doing it with boards. They're California big deal. Like one woman needs to be on every public board by, I Which think it's is this also year. we know is not effective. And that's one woman. Is right. not, you need to have more than one. So, I mean, you just sit her there. It needs to be three. Yeah. I mean, like yeah. sit her there and then she's now like, Oh, you know, all the microaggressions. And so she, that's right. <laughs> that's right. She gets tired. Right. So it's gotta be three out of every 10 is kind yes. of the yeah. metric we yeah. use the yeah. rule of three so that you can, be more than just your identity. You can be a person, you know, and, and be seen that way. And also feel that you're not, all eyes don't always turn to you when the question comes up about right. inclusion and diversity. <laughs> there you are, like, you're carrying your community on your shoulders. And you are. 
things that you probably do not, not even experience, but you're expected to answer, respond for the whole community because you identify with them. And if that product goes sour, it's your fault because we ask the one person in the room. That's, that's why we have them here. So yeah. Mm, that's not good. No, no, no. So that's my wish is the representation more than one, no tokenization, all levels all levels um, and let's not be afraid like look europe made boards diverse with that uh, mandate a couple of years yes. ago 40 percent of women are on public boards and i like to say a the women appeared big surprise non-surprise <laughs> and b the sky didn't fall and the business world didn't crumble yeah. right so to say that oh well they're not ready or we can't find them like all this stuff we just need to neutralize it but i honestly feel like carrot and stick like i spend so much time in the carrot land and I wish I had more stick because I know this is good for business and good for the world. And I know that it won't destroy anything, but somehow others somehow think like, Oh, well, if I share what I have, then there's going to be less for me and all of that. Like, so it's just like, really? There's enough seats. There are a there lot of, there are a lot of, yes. Pull up the folding chair, like Shirley Chisholm right from your own chair. So our very last one. So what's your hashtag? We, oh, you thank you for your own hashtag for my diversity hashtag? inclusion. For inclusion, what would be your hashtag? And you oh can't just gosh. say inclusion. Right. Okay. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> you needed to say that. Um, boy, I would say, I would say whole self. I love that concept. That's um, the visible and invisible parts of us. That's a whole other interview. Yes. Wow. Well, thank you so, so much, Jennifer. This has been amazing. Awesome. You guys, make sure you reach out, get the book, get both of the books. Uh, there's a part yeah. one and a part two, basically. I call them part one and part two. But yeah, they kind of are. They kind yeah, of are. get the books. And um, for the people who are in our community, who are in the HR for our community, make sure you go ahead and get the free gift that she's left for everyone. Thank you so much again, Jennifer. And I um, so look Leila. forward to connecting with you even more. I enjoyed this so much. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you. Before you go, let's talk about the takeaways from this session. For me, the first one was the danger of the well-meaning person. Honestly, how many times have we actually heard, I don't see color, I treat everyone the same. I think this is so critical, especially as we as diversity practitioners, as we're building our strategies, as we're talking to our clients, as we're in the workplace, how do we help people who say this, who say to us, I don't see color, who have a really great intentions, but yet are still uh, displaying microaggressions. We still see that there are some biases in areas that they have not addressed. So this is definitely an area that you want to tap into and work with your clients on. The next one she talked about was, we talked about was the intersectionality of ERGs. This is so action-packed. This is so loaded because we know that so many ERGs are being standing stood up right now are being started and launched. And so therefore, this is an opportunity for you to start doing probably like an audit or a hygiene, just a hygienic look at your ERGs and start asking the question of, is there true intersectionality in there? Are they addressing everyone in that community or leaving someone out? And then allies, where we also have so many people um, discussing allyship. This is a time for you to build resilience training. This is a time to talk to your 
allies about resilience and how important that is. So this way we don't do more damage or do damage where we want to be helpful. So I want to hear from you. Drop down in the comments. What were your takeaways? That's a wrap. And thanks for joining us for the HR for Her podcast. And if you would like to find more ways for creating a workplace where the women in your organization will thrive, then go ahead and do two things. One, download our gender policy checklist at our site, hrforher.com, and find out how your company measures up. And two, subscribe now to our channel and leave a review. We would love to hear from you.